week 15, remnant for restoration. Remnant for restoration. Last week in Romans chapter 10, we ended on these last two verses. I'm going to get right into it because it's long. It's 717 and I'll let you out by 9 o'clock. Oh, man, I got the courtesy laugh. We're just going to excommunicate him in the name of Jesus. <clears throat> Last two verses of Romans chapter 10, verses 20 and 21. Later, Isaiah spoke boldly for God, saying, I was found by people who were not looking for me. I showed myself to those who were not asking for me. But regarding Israel, someone shout Israel. God said, all day long, I opened my arms to them, but they were disobedient and rebellious. All day long, I opened my arms to Israel, but they were disobedient and they were rebellious. Israel rejected their own Messiah who they have been praying for and asking for, and the people who saw the Messiah were not even the ones asking for him. The ones asking for him missed it. Because they had an idea of what their Savior was going to look like. They, they thought that he was going to look like a certain kind of king. A handsome, beautiful man with crowns and robes and horses. Instead, they got something completely opposite that came in a donkey. And they, they just could not get why this carpenter's son who was not elite, why people were calling him the king. They missed it because they were depending on their own expectations. People not of that nation, they were finding him even when they weren't seeking him. They were seeking something and God showed himself and they received him as God. His arms, it says in the scripture, just keep that scripture up if you don't mind, that last scripture. His arms are open to all. And with that idea of all, not some, all, not some people, all people, all people that ever existed, all people that are going to exist, not some, not an elect few, not just some that he predestined for heaven. Everyone is predestined to join him in heaven, but you choose whether or not you are going to enter into agreement with that promise and that invitation. He says his arms are open to all. So we asked, how are you responding to the fact that his arms are open? Where's your relationship with him? How often you talk to him? What are you doing as a response of being in love with him? Well, at the end of that verse, it's setting up Romans 11. Because we shout and hallelujah at the idea that his arms are open to all. But at the end of it, it says, but they were disobedient and rebellious. So a question comes. If people are disobedient to God and rebellious to God, does God reject them? Well, you're not doing what you're supposed to do, so do you get rejected? I don't know about you, but I have felt at times that my faith ain't working. And sometimes when I have that question, you know, if anyone's honest, I feel like we've all been there. You know, I'm sowing into the church and I'm still poor. I have faith that so-and-so wasn't going to die, but they did. 
I have faith that I'm going to have a breakthrough in my finances, but I don't. I have faith that I'm going to get that promotion, but I got passed up. I have faith that God's going to do this, and it never comes. And sometimes you wonder, God, where are you at? Has anyone ever been there? Is that just me? I mean, y'all must walk on water. I, I have been through times in my life where all the promises that God says, I just don't see them all the time. And you start to wonder, God, have I, have I been so rebellious and disobedient that you're keeping something from me? What's going on, God? Well, these are the questions that start to arise. Does God reject people? Does God say, well, if you've been disobedient to me, you ain't getting my promises? It's a valid question. And usually our response is, well, okay, well, I'm just going to have faith anyways, and God's going to do it. But then when you're living in a, in a place where you feel like everything you've been waiting on is not coming, you're like, has God forgotten the fact that I need him, right? I go to church, I pray, I, I, I worship him, but where is the breakthrough that I need? I came to the altar, I, I, I got, you know, humble, and I came before all the people, and I had them pray for me, but I'm still feeling the same way. Is it okay we just get real? Where is it at? You know, we come up and we get a, heal, a healing touch, and nothing changes. What's going on, God? And we start to ask the question, what am I doing wrong? What am I not doing? What have I gotten off. So this question is posed, and Paul starts Romans 11, verse 1 off like this. I ask then, has God rejected his own people, the nation Israel? Because he promised deliverance. He promised that he would save them. And here Israel is wondering, where's the Messiah? Where's God? Why hadn't he showed up? Some people got it. Some people didn't. And now we're wondering, okay, well, is Israel going to be rejected even though he said he was going to redeem them? Of course not. Has God rejected his own people, the nation of Israel? Of course not. I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, and a member of the tribe of Benjamin. Why is this question asked? In Romans 9, we're told God chooses to show mercy. God chooses to show mercy. So if someone chooses to reject him, does that mean it lines up with an idea that God never chose to show them mercy? Because when we get into the idea of predestination, we, we think that everything we do has been planned. Well, let me just give you some truth. Everything you do, has not been planned. Oh, did the pastor just, yes, I did. He had a plan, and you choose to walk in it or not. And let's be honest, most of the stuff we in definitely ain't what he planned for us to do. But then we start, we start to get in this question, okay, well, people actually believe some are chosen for heaven, some are chosen for hell, even though the Bible says no one is appointed unto death. It's very clear. You can get in all your theological debates and ideas, but the Bible's clear. No one is appointed to wrath. 
We are destined for something other than wrath. Whether you walk into what you're destined for is totally off of you. And a lot of us has gone through times where we are rebellious and disobedient to God. And let's not play the card of sin necessarily. You know, sin is not just doing a bad thing. Sin is disobedience. And sometimes, if we're honest, we can get disobedient in small things. God says, talk to the person. You said, no, I've got too much to do. And then we start to get this guilt factor in of, oh my gosh, what did I just rob myself of because I've been disobedient? I rebelled in that moment. God said, do this, and I did that. What does this mean for me? What happens when we're disobedient, when we're rebellious, what does that mean for me? Does it mean that God is going to reject me? Does it mean that God's going to take away his promises for me? Does it mean that God's going to kind of get mad and say, hey, I promised you this, but because you didn't do that, you can forget it? And you're all saying no, or some of you are just looking at me like, like a deer in headlights, but we, we, we've, been, we've been taught this idea that if we don't do all the things right, God is going to say, never mind. Well, this is what Paul says in verse 2. No, no, that should comfort some of you. No, God has not rejected his own people whom he chose from the very beginning. Do you realize what the scriptures say about this? Elijah the prophet complained to God about the people of Israel. Anybody ever complained to God about church? I don't know about you, but I've had some conversations with God about church people. Not, not about, not about y'all. Just in previous ministries I've been with. You know, not y'all. Y'all perfect. But, you know... You, you, you get in these conversations with God like, I can't stand worshiping with those hypocritical people. They come lift their hands in church and they lift their hands for a drink afterwards. Right? Oh, is that too much? Or those, they act like they all holy and nothing about them is holy because I know how they talk when they get mad and it ain't bless God. Right? He's complaining about the people of Israel. Says, Lord, they've killed your prophets. And now that's serious. You killing prophets. They're killing your prophets. They're tearing down your altars. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. I'd be complaining to God too. God, you promised protection. And now the people, your, your chosen people, are trying to kill me. Your people. That church. Have you ever been in a place where you felt like the church was just rejecting you? Y'all better not be talking about this one. I'm the only one left. They're trying to kill me too. Do you remember God's reply? He said, no. I've got 7,000 others who've never bowed down to Baal. It's the same today. A few of the people have remained faithful. Some versions say a remnant of people still have remained faithful because of God's grace. His undeserved kindness is choosing them. 
See, at this time when Paul's writing back in the day, the general collective of Israel was rejecting Jesus as the Messiah. Sure, you had a few. You had the 12 and you had a few hundred maybe, but most of them know that is not Messiah. Crucify him. We'll take the, you know, we'll, we'll take the bad guy, but crucify him. And Paul says, do you really think that the collective agreement talks God out of his promises? Let me say that again. Do you really think that the collective agreement talks God out of his promises? Do you really think that the collective agreement who are supporting laws that are totally opposite God talks God out of his promises for you? But that's what we think. Because we get in this idea that, oh no, the Lord is going to turn his back on America because of the collective agreement. And God says, I know that on the collective everyone's turning their back, but there is still a remnant. There is still groups scattered throughout. He points back to what Elijah says. Everyone's killing the prophets. Everyone's tearing down altars of God. God reminded Elijah, 7,000 never bowed to, to a false god, and that's good enough for me to work with that group to redeem an entire nation of people. Elijah was actually praying against his own people, complaining about them. Duh, they're trying to kill him. And God saw something that Elijah did not. You see, Elijah thought that God had taken his hand off the nation and rejected them and said, no more mercy for you and no more grace for you. But God says, there's a remnant remaining. And we often get in this mindset that God needs a lot of people to do a great thing. But God says, I just need a small group that is seeking me. Because despite what the agreement is in the world, I don't change. God says, I don't change. I have not changed. And I'm not going to change. I don't care that the church is saying that it's okay to be homosexual. I don't change. I don't care what your situation is. I don't change. I don't care if you don't believe in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I'm still going to do what I'm going to do. But let's get real. Why are we letting that issue divide us between people who don't believe it if we believe God's going to do what he's going to do anyways? Why can't we all sit at the same table and not be separated by different nuances of, of beliefs if God's not going to change despite what you believe? It's all the same food. God says, I, I've got bread for you. My body, my blood, I've covered you. And I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And the, the whole nation of Israel, let's, let's get it in today's terms. Israel being the church, the people of God. The whole church can tell me that I can't do this because of what America is choosing and what denominations are choosing and what that's doing and this and that. But when it comes down to it, no matter what you say, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. All I need is a remnant. All I need is a small group of people. And he's looking for a people to get in line with what he wants to do instead of trying to come up with their own plan. 
Because here's the key. It's not come up with our own strategy. It's get in line with the one he has already fought up with ways that are way above ours. It's not about let's, let's get culturally relevant to win the lost. God says, I need a remnant of people who are not interested in a worldly culture. I need a group of people who are interested in my culture that looks different from anything you're doing. And I need you to get in line with that. That being his plan and his way. And the thing to point out here is that it says the remnant, the small group of people, they do not earn God's kindness by being faithful. Let me say that again. The remnant does not earn God's kindness by your faithfulness. Because we think in order for revival to happen, in order for an outpouring of the Spirit to happen, we, we, we've got to get it all right. We've got to have all the people coming when we plan to meet. We've got to have all the people doing this. Let me point this out. It says it is the undeserved kindness from God given to people who love and seek Him, and God chooses them because of His grace. We're called to be faithful. We're called to walk in his ways. But that is not what's getting you the favor of God. The reason there's a favor on the remnant of people is not because they are proving themselves as so holy. It's because God says even in their great faithfulness and doing all the right things, even they got it all perfect, it's by my grace that they get a kindness that they don't deserve. And the issue in the church is that we start thinking God wants to use a remnant because of what we're doing. No. He wants to use a remnant because he's gracing you in an undeserved kindness because he sees you're seeking him without expectation of he has to honor what I'm doing. See, when we start to get in this rhetoric of we've got to so that God does, we're taking out the idea of grace. See, we always think that grace is about, well, well, the grace of God is that we can be under him and still be sinners. No, no, no. That's like 1% of grace. Grace is I'm going to do something through you that you don't deserve to do. I'm going to pour out my rain on a people that don't deserve my rain. I'm going to do something incredible in Savannah, not because you deserve it and not because you are earning it, but because you're seeking me. And because I see that you're seeking me, I'm going to grace you with something. No matter how much we seek, we still don't deserve. There's not a formula to get God to work on our behalf. And we're laughing but that's what we do. When you have trouble, the first thing you think of is, let me get back to church. You think that's the answer? Let me tell you what church is for. Church is not to fix you. Church is not, let me get right before God. You want to know how you get right before God? Start loving him more than you do. 
building a relationship with him so that he graces you with a kindness that you don't deserve even though you're seeking him. And in that relationship with God, he's going to bring you to a family of other people who are having a relationship with God. And in that meeting of believers, there's an equipping to go do the will of God. The issue with what we're facing in America is we've made the church about let's get them saved. That's not the point of the meeting of church. We've made every church meeting about let's get your one person, get your five people, bring them to the service so they can hear about Jesus. Why do you have to bring them here if you know him so well? The point of this is because you are representing him in a grace that you didn't deserve, we come together to be equipped to go do more of what we don't deserve to do. Good news. That's funny you say that. That's in my message tonight. The good news. I can't stand it when there's unity in the spirit. <laughs> Just, just kidding, God. The good news is not just that Jesus died for you on the cross. The good news is that he has graced you to walk in places you don't deserve to walk in. The good news is that he's positioned you to be what you walked out of. The good news is that the plans are still on you. The purpose is still for you. And no matter how disobedient and how rebellious you are, you are not more powerful than God to talk him out of what he planned for you. Don't tell me that just because someone got divorced, they can't minister. Shut your unholy mouth up. Don't tell me that a people who don't deserve, who mess up in something, somehow talk God out of what he's gracing us to deserve, even though we never deserved it. Is this okay? Look at verse 6. Since it is through God's kindness, it's not by their good works. For in that case, God's grace would not be what it really is. Free and undeserved. So this is the situation. See, if you just read scripture like a conversation, it just opens up. This is the situation. Most of the people of Israel have not found the favor of God they're looking for so earnestly. A few have, the ones that God has chosen. But the hearts of the rest were hardened. Now, you don't need to pay attention to this. The hearts of the rest were hardened. As the scriptures say, God has put them into a deep sleep and to this day he has shut their eyes so they don't see and closed their ears that they do not hear. Now that's a tough scripture because we get into the theology of the elected few who were predestined for heaven and everyone else is screwed. If I can just talk real. So y'all laughing because y'all know, know, know I'm talking. God's grace would not be grace if it was something that you can earn. It's undeserved. 
It's not enough to live a good life. Your good life needs to be postured under the leading and the worship of God. So Paul describes the situation. Most of the people of God, most of the chosen people, have not found favor with him, even though they're looking for it. Remember, they were looking for God, and he showed up, and they missed him. Only a few found favor, the ones that God had chosen. They've got a chosen people. They rejected him. So through grace, he says, I'm going to choose others that were never in necessarily the plan. Now, in this passage, there were some that were chosen, the Israelites, but they weren't adding up in the eyes of people. In their eyes, they weren't holy. They were fishermen. They were tax collectors. They were people that did not meet the religious requirements. That's why I cannot stand this idea of church leaders and lay people. To me, that is a division that is made up by Satan himself. You are not lay people. You are the people of God. Okay? Now, here's where we're getting back into a misinterpretation of the elect. The elect does not mean that a small amount's been chosen for eternity. All have been chosen for eternity. We're talking about favor. God says a remnant... I will give favor to the rest. I will put them in a sleep in such a way that they won't see and they won't hear what I'm wanting to do for everybody. I'm only going to let a few see so that they can lead the way. I'm going to put them into a sleep Because their hearts were hardened. Not because God hardened their hearts. Their hearts were hardened because they were seeking one idea of God and he didn't show up for them. So their hearts were hardened. Well, you didn't show up for me, God, and so we're just going to keep doing what we're doing. That might not have been the exact nature of their conversation, but that's exactly what they were doing. God, we want you. Here I am. Nope, you ain't God. So they go back into the religious routine. We're going to keep praying, and we're going to keep seeking them. And God's like, I showed up to people who ain't seeking me. Right? Their hearts were hardened, and he says, I'm not going to let them see or hear. I'm going to talk to the ones that are truly seeking to lead the way for the rest. Are y'all following? God has not turned his back on America or the world. But there's a lot of people who claim God have ceased, uh, who have claimed have ceased to seek him. They've grown comfortable at what they've built. People have grown comfortable in what they've experienced. And they don't realize what they experienced was a step in the right direction toward restoration, but they stopped at the step. 
They claim they're seeking God, but they stopped at when they saw an outpouring. Let me go deeper. There are many revivals of old. Revivals of evangelism and revivals of where they finally understood that the Spirit poured Himself out on people. They were never designed to stop. None of them. God never planned to pour Himself out and then take Himself out of the people. The plan was that people were being revived to what God wanted to do and they would continue. Revival is the, is the process to being restored. So what happened is we had revival. And people understood that Jesus is available to all. But they stopped there. So now you have people that are obsessed with the good news of Jesus, gospel, gospel of Jesus, get them saved, get them saved, but they don't want anything else. They stop there. And then they made a system of how to do where they stopped really good. And then it was called a denomination. And then people in the denomination didn't agree, so they made more denominations in that step. There are 44,000 denominations on this earth. You think God planned for that much division? So, some more people started seeking, and, got, and then revival started. The manifestation of the Spirit, tongues and prophecy and all these things. And they thought, we got it. So they stopped in the step. And they made a system. How do we get people to talk in tongues? How do we get people to prophesy? How do we manufacture this undeserved outpouring? And then they created a denomination. And they created their own theologies. And they're getting stuck in that. Then there was more revivals and more revivals. God never planned for them to stop. It was let me reveal myself in this way. And as you keep seeking, I'm going to show you this. And as you keep seeking, I'm going to show you that. And as you keep seeking, I'm going to show you more because I want you to be revived back to a completely restored life in Christ. And here's what's going Is this okay? And here's what's going on now. They're, we are not waiting for revival. We are in revival. Let me, let me just, you guys, you are in revival. But most of you don't know it because you're not seeking revival. You're seeking your idea of revival. You think revival is a tent outside sweating all of our body weight off and we have great bands and people preaching stuff that we've heard for 30 years. That ain't revival. That's replay. And if I offended you, deal with it. We are in revival. Let me tell you why. A remnant of people are starting to see fivefold ministry again. Because all the churches are used to one government, pastor. And the pastor don't even call his own shots. A board of deacons call the shots. And deacons in the Bible were never meant to call any kind of shots. 
You know what deacons are? Servants of God. That's it. You, guess what? If you ever want to get to the point of a deacon, serve God. You're there. And then other places have a board of elders, and they tell the pastor what to do. That ain't, that ain't how a leader of a church is supposed to govern. But that's where they're comfortable. So they're in their replay of this is how we seek God, and we wonder why they're never going anywhere. They go through the same cycles of a lot of people, a little people, a lot of, change the name, a lot of people, little people, right? Take, take, take Baptists or Methodists or Assemblies. Or, have y'all noticed the Church of God, they're taking off Church of God? Because they're, they're just trying to figure it out in their... Is this, is, am I getting too... I know I'm not, but I'm just making sure you're good. But there's a remnant of people who are understanding that was an awakening that was supposed to be walking in more awakening called re, being revived. And God says, their hearts are hardened to fivefold ministry, so I'm not going to let them see it. I'm going to let a remnant of people see it. And when the fruit starts being produced, the ones that can't see it are going to start looking to the ones that do and start asking questions. You see, he says, I'm not going to let them hear what I'm telling them or see what I'm telling them, but I'm going to let them look to the ones that are. It's not that they're cut off from God. It's they're going to see God instead of directly from him, they're going to see it through the remnant. <laughs> I'm exposing some stuff. In the day of Paul, the Jews or Israel, God's chosen people, they became so comfortable being the chosen people that are ruined them. We chosen. We ain't got to do a thing. I'm saved. I'm good to go. And the people who are claiming they saved look more like Satan than Satan does. Many are called, few are chosen. All are invited. But few are chosen not off of my favoritism, not off election, but rather you walk as elected when you come to him, when, you're, when you are ready for whatever he asks. Some people are not ready for what he asks, so they go in replay of what they know. Some people are willing to look strange and stupid because they're going where God asked them to go. I don't hear a lot of good reports about Relentless Church. But the ones giving us a bad report, they're starting to ask, what's going on over there? And it's not because we're better. And it's not because we're special. We're in the same vein as they are. It's just we're willing to see something that they can't anymore. And we're called to steward what we're seeing 
so that when they see something in us that's different, we're ready to communicate what they couldn't see by themselves. Not, well, you should have, no, no, no. You're my brother or sister no matter what you believe, and because we've seen, let us bring you in. Why, why are we called to be a remnant and stay small and the God given this word of stay hidden? Because we're walking into something that no one else can see. Not because we earned it, but because of undeserved kindness. We're the people who are, who are willing to listen to something different and see something different. Not because we're trying to be different, but just because we're seeking who he is. Why a remnant? Many are called. Few are chosen. Few are chosen to feast at the table of restoring the earth in Jesus' name. I don't know about you, but I want to come ready. I'm not okay with just call to eternity. I want him to use me for now. See, when your focus is on eternity... You'll take whatever path you're comfortable with because you're not wanting a relationship. You want to you want to stamp on your afterlife passport. All you care about is I'm good to go to heaven. And I say it every week, and I'm going to probably say the same things every week for a while until we get it. Get your eyes off of when he returns. And get your eyes off of the fact that you're going to heaven. You know why it's a promise? So you don't got to think about it anymore. What do I think on? I want to build a relationship with my father who I can only do it because Jesus paid the price so that I could be made worthy to talk directly to him. And with the help, encouragement, and the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to walk in such a way that doesn't look normal because I am not focused on heaven. I'm focused on the fact that heaven's taken care of. God has got me. What do you want from me in the process of restoring this earth back to heaven on earth? That process is called revival. Heaven cannot be restored until we go back to how he originally created it. And the way we get to back how, how he created the church to be is we've got to be willing to cut off any dead thing that the church is still embracing. I listened to a preacher that say this this week. Church, church pe people that you go to these religious places, you ever seen the altar this, do this in remembrance of me? People get more hurt over removing that because they don't see the possibility of making room for people to get on their knees crying before God, seeking his name. Because we love the religious thing. We love our ways. We love our practice. But do we really love him? Some just sit at the table and love what they're doing and their hearts have been hardened so they can't see what God wants to do. They can't hear his voice. They read what he said yesterday and they make a religion of feasting on yesterday. I mean, I, maybe this is wrong. It's not, but 
if all a church can do when we get together and talk about how Jesus died for you, that's good. But I got it. He died for me. Now what? Think about when someone gets saved. Oh, he died for me. He paid for my sins. I'm alive in him. Yay. And then we go to church the next week. And we hear the exact same message that, that, just, that just transformed my life. And the next week. Amen. Yes. So good. So good. The next week. Okay. This is just a season of revival. Next week, same message, same message. And we develop people, and this is not disrespectful, so don't, don't laugh at this. We develop people who are 60 years old that can't do anything but tell you about how Jesus died on the cross and they've been to church the whole life. There's an issue with that. They don't know how to cast a demon out because they think a demon is more powerful than the Holy Spirit in them. We get scared of things that go bump at night when God says, I haven't given you a spirit of fear, and no one teaches us how to do anything about it. We say we believe in healing, but we're not brave enough to actually pray for healing. Right? God tells us something, and we're scared to say it because we're scared of getting something wrong, even though we say we're graced and covered under him. No one's getting it. Because we love to feast on what we heard on yesterday and make a religion out of it. God says, restore Everything. Restore fivefold. Well, I like how my government tastes. So I'm going to sit right here and let y'all figure it out. And God says, they're not going to see it. But a remnant. They will. It's not because they deserve it. It's not because they earned it. Because I grace you to see it. Because you're seeking me. Israel missed the Messiah. Man, this is going to go long. Is this okay? Is this okay? I'm on page three, and I've got ten pages, and it's eight o'clock. Don't worry. You can go to Waffle House. Israel, I'm sorry, but this is, this is the good food. Israel missed the Messiah. We miss what the Father wants to do through what the Messiah made available when we seek to only satisfy ourselves. Look at verse 9. Likewise, David said, let their bountiful table become a snare, a trap that makes them think all is well. Let their blessings cause them to stumble and let them get what they deserve. Let their eyes go blind so they cannot see and let their backs be bent forever. Israel was so caught up in their idea that they missed it and the things that fed their appetite became the very thing that caused them to stumble. When you validate your way over his way, don't be surprised and complain when you stumble. Don't be surprised at the power working in other people's lives and not yours when you don't seek his way, you validate your way over his. Well, I know that God says this, but it's 2021. You say he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, but for some reason you change what he's the same in. Well, tithing's for the Old Testament. He's the same yesterday. Today and forever. What's different? You're not bound to hell because you break a covenant of tithing. 
but you're still called to honor what he wants. Is this making sense? Okay. Don't be surprised that God will use a weird people of 100 to influence a city of millions. Because the remnant seats. Look at verse 11. Did God's people stumble and fall beyond recovery? Let me just comfort you for a minute. Of course not. You cannot stumble beyond recovery. So don't get comfortable in what you stumbled in. Because this is what we do. I messed, I messed up. I'm no longer worthy. So I'm just going to sit in what I messed up in because I can't move forward. That means you're saying your stumble is more powerful than the grace of God. I don't care what has you bound up. Nothing is more powerful than what he can grace on you. Nothing. Nothing. It's never too late for someone to see him. It's never too late for someone to be redeemed. The stumble is not more powerful than his grace. Did God's people stumble and fall beyond recovery? Of course not. They were disobedient, so God made salvation available to the Gentiles. They wouldn't get it. So because they would not accept me, I closed their eyes closed their ears and I said let me talk to you who never knew who I was but you're seeking something and they said yep we got it what happens but he wanted his own people to become jealous and claim it for themselves if the Gentiles were enriched because the people of Israel turned down God's offer of salvation Think how much greater a blessing the world will share when they finally accept it. The nation of Israel turned their backs on God or wouldn't accept who God was. So he says, that's fine. I'll do what I wanted to do in you who people who weren't chosen in the beginning and I'm going to make the people that were destined for what they got jealous of what they're living in. So that one day they will see and be restored despite the fact that they rejected me. You want to know how your friends are going to see Jesus and your lost family members see Jesus when they start to see you look different and talk different and act different and posture yourself different. They can only see him be, be through you because they, their hearts have been hardened so they're not going to be able to see unless they see it. That's why we're a light to the world. That's why God says, be a mirror image of me. They're going to see me through you. If the Gentiles were enriched because the people of Israel turned down God's offer of salvation, think how much greater a blessing the world will share when they finally accept it. I'm saying all this especially for you Gentiles. Who's a Gentile? We are. If you're not Jew, 
You a Gentile. Isn't that deep theology? I'm saying this for you Gentiles. God has appointed me as the apostle to the Gentiles. I stress this. I want somehow to make the people Israel jealous of what you've got so we can get some of them back. People should be jealous of what's happening in your life. Not turned away by it. Something is starting to stir in them and they're getting hungry because they're seeing things happen. But it's not just, I got a new car and I got a house. It's the addiction fell off. I didn't have to go through 12 steps. It happened in one. You are someone that always mismanaged your money. How is it that you can manage it so good now? Well, let me tell you, I give it away first. The tithe. Your man is 90 when you start to give away 10 a lot better than you managed 100. You see, even though they're blind and can't hear, God still wants them to see. He says, I'll do many things for people that will make them have a jealousy or, for, or for a hunger for what they've got. See, here's where the blindness comes in. They don't know it's God. Even though for us, it's obvious it is God. So they ask, what do you have that's different? And that's how they begin to see again. And that's how their hearts become softened after their hardening. It's through their envy of God-like things that they can't identify as God-like. I want what you've got. How are you getting that? The answer is not, well, I did this. Well, I, no. You show them what they can't see. That's, that's true ministry. How will the church begin to see the truth of things we're seeing when they realize what's working for them ain't working like it's working for us? Which puts a responsibility on the remnant. We have to see in everything so that stupid stuff happens that can only be explained by God pouring it out over people who don't deserve it. The remnant has a responsibility to seek and follow even when it don't make sense. So that God can do something in us that people say, why didn't that happen for me? Look at verse 15. Since their rejection meant that God offered salvation to the rest of the world, their acceptance will be even more wonderful. It will be life for those who were dead. And since Abraham and the other patriarchs were holy, their descendants will also be holy, just as the entire batch of dough is holy because the portion gives us an offering is holy. For if the roots of the tree are holy, the branches will be holy too. You see, the roots support the branches. The branches don't support the root. The root, Israel, is a holy people, the chosen people of God. God says, because you came from holy, 
you holy. But some of the branches of the holy people end up rejecting where they come from. You have a free will to reject. And watch what happens. Verse 17. But some of the branches from Abraham's tree, some of the people of Israel have been broken off. What I just say, when you got dead branches, cut them off. You Gentiles, you were branches from a wild olive tree. But you've been grafted in. You were adopted sons and daughters. So now, listen, watch this. So now, you Gentiles that have been grafted into the holy tree of Israel, because we are Israel, you receive the blessing that God promised Abraham and his children. You share in that promise. Sharing in the rich nourishment from the roots of God's special olive tree. You see, there was a chosen people. And because they rejected God, God said, let me go find some other branches that want me. I'm go Their branches are dead. Their hearts have been hardened. So let me remove those branches Y'all sit right there and let me go find some that I can graft onto this tree. You see, when an old olive tree lost its strength and its health, the bad branches back then, they would be cut off and they would graft in wild olive shoots and the tree would begin to regrain strength and health. Let me say that again. When the olive tree had dead branches, the tree didn't look beautiful. It looked dead and ugly. You know how they got it to look beautiful again? They cut the dead ones off and grafted in ones that were beautiful. The wild ones. The unchosen, not getting the religious stuff right ones. You know, like, like the, the ones who didn't know Scripture. the ones who were caught up in all, all their own stuff. They were seeking something, and they found me. Because when I revealed myself to them, because they were so hungry, they ate it up. So I'm going to take those branches, and I'm going to graft them onto this one so that my original tree can start to look healthy and beautiful again. God says, the ones that I chose who reject me, let them sit in their rejection, meaning their hearts are hardened because of themselves, and I'll make sure they don't see or hear, and as they're cut off from the tree, let me make the tree beautiful again with whosoever who will believe in me. Those few who are seeking me will be chosen among all who were called to be grafted into a holy tree, adopted into the family. And when the hardened hearts, the rejected, the branches who I had to cut off because they rejected me, when those branches see how beautiful that tree is, they'll start to say, how do we get back on the tree? Not because they're seeing God. They're seeing a beautiful tree. I want that. 
What is that? We don't know. Well, let me tell you how we got beautiful. And the hardened hearts that rejected the beautiful one start to receive him again because they're seeing a beautiful tree. God is telling me that this house, this remnant of people, we got to start walking into stuff that not everyone may see is right, that it's going to be hard to get there, that religious people are going to look at us like we are the Antichrist church. But eventually, when we walk into the restoration that we're supposed to be, people are going to, Wait a minute, something's working. They're so beautiful. Why? Y'all were so ugly in our minds, but now you're, you're beautiful. The power, I see a power in you. You mean to tell me someone got healed from COVID without a shot? You mean to tell me that you broke the law of the six-foot rule and it worked in your favor? What, 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 what do you mean that someone mumbled and then someone interpreted it and the whole church grew closer? What are you talking about? And the religious branches will start to open their eyes to who God really is. And it's not by us talking about how they're blind. It's being focused on God. How do I become beautiful in you? You see, we can talk all day about, well, they're getting it wrong and they're not doing this. You know, when you start asking God, God, what, what needs to be cut off in me? What, what, do you, what needs to be done in me? Because I want to become so beautiful in you that they see you. And even if they can't identify it, they start asking questions about who you are. Because you didn't earn it. Your grace to be grafted in. Look at verse 18. You must not brag about being grafted in to replace the branches that were broken off. You're just a branch. You ain't the root. You know what God just said? You ain't all that. Don't y'all love the Bible? It's got the best punches in the world. <laughs> well, you, must, you may say, those branches were broken off to make room for me. Yeah, but remember, those branches were broken off because they didn't believe in Christ, and you're there because you do believe. Don't think highly of yourself. Fear what could happen to you. For if God didn't spare the original branches, he ain't going to spare you either. Don't think just because God made, for, from, made room for you means you are graced out of his wrath. They couldn't do what they wanted. Grace doesn't make you do what you want. Grace gets you grafted in. Grace does not excuse your life that don't look like a beautiful tree. If all you start to look like over and over is dead and rotten, Eventually, you ain't going to hear him either. I can't hear God. Well, because you look rotten. 
Why do you look rotten? Because of your lifestyle choices in rebellion and disobedient to what. But then I start to hear these reports of I'm starting to hear God. You know what graft, you know what grafted in is basically you take a branch and you tie it to a good one. And you start to take on characteristics. So when people start, I'm starting to hear and see. Because you were grafted onto something that was godly and you're becoming godlike. But don't you boast about what's happening in you and what's not happening in them. Because the point of it happening in you is so that they can get back in. Verse 22. Notice how God is both kind and severe. That's a Facebook post. Because you hear, God is love, God is love. Someone posted, God is love and severe. Right? He is severe, don't... He is severe toward those who disobeyed. Don't put that on there. You get all kind of people commenting on your stuff because they don't. Because why? Because their they've been their hearts have been hardened, and they can't see or can't hear. You know, I realize. You know why? Back in November, I got so many people coming against my Facebook posts because they couldn't see or hear. And why have a conversation with deaf and blind? Ooh, okay. But you know what's happening now? They're starting to ask things. How? What? Are y'all getting this message? I know it's long, but this is so good. Look what it says. If Pete, if you stop, okay, I need to just go back. Wow, I am just pouring anointing oil. <laughs> Notice how God's both kind and severe. He's severe toward those who disobeyed, but kind to you if you continue to trust in his kindness. But if you stop trusting, you also, Gentiles, will be cut off. If the people of Israel turn from their unbelief, they'll be grafted in again. God has the power to graft them back into the tree. You, by nature, were a branch cut from a wild olive tree. Your roots weren't in me. But I grafted you in. So if God was willing to do something contrary to nature by grafting you into his cultivated tree, he will be far more eager to graft the original branches back into the tree where they belong. See, there's not an elect few. There is, there is grafted in to the people of God when you accept the call as elected and chosen. Even the original can be adopted despite their rejection. People always love to judge ministers who fall. I don't think they should ever preach again. Shut up, you not original branch. If they can believe and get back into what he's supposed to be, even though they may have been cut off for a season, they can be grafted back in just like your ugly self was. Because you were ugly, but now you're found and beautiful and you look like who he is and no longer who you were. Because your true identity is in the one who is beautiful. 
Don't think you're so powerful that you can change his plans. He said, I'm going to get my original back. And anyone who wants to be grafted, I'm getting them too. It's like this in John 15, 1 through 8. I am the true grapevine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that does not produce fruit. And he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they'll produce even more. Well, I don't know why I lost something. Praise God that he's getting you ready for more production. Praise him in all times. I was thinking about the marriage covenant today. I'll love you for better or for... Well, if we're the bride of Christ, do you praise him in the worst? Because you don't understand what he's preparing you for? Why did he take that from me? Praise God he did because he's got something that needs to happen through that pruning. Why should I have faith when God don't come through? Because he is coming through. You just can't see it yet. Think about Job. He lost everything. His crops, his wife, his kids, everything. And at the end of it, it was all restored with more than originally he had. Why? Satan got permission. Can I mess with the one who's, who claims loves you? And God was so confident in the relationship with him, he said, go ahead. Why is the enemy attacking me? Why is Satan coming after me? Maybe it's because your relationship is with God in such a way that God's saying, go ahead. Maybe God's got more faith than you sometimes than you do him. So, Lord, forgive me for not trusting. Even though I can't see it, I'm going to trust in you. Because if you are allowing this much to come on me, there is something through this process that is greater than what I have right now. Let it rain. Let it rain. You only need rain when you're a little dry. If your container's full, not much more can be poured back in. So God says, let me, let me prune it. Let me cut it back a little bit. You've already been pruned and purified by the message I've given you. Remain in me, I'll remain in you. Have you been pruned and purified? The word that he is speaking. He says, remain in me, I'll remain in you, for a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine. You cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. If you're in a season where you're not producing fruit, it's not because you're in a season of fruitfulness. There ain't no such thing. See, we get this church rhetoric wrong. Well, I'm just in a season where God don't want to do nothing. God don't have a season where he don't want fruit to be produced. I'm just in a season where God doesn't want me to do anything. 
God don't have that season for you. God's got a season where he just don't want me moving forward. God is always wanting to do something in you. But you may not see what's being produced, so you call it still. When God says things to you like be still, that means don't do anything. It means cling to him and what he's calling you to cling to for production. And you're producing in the still to be ready to move into something that you weren't previously ready to before. God had me serve in a ministry for two years before I started this church. I didn't think it was going to be two years. I thought it was going to be five or ten. And you know what he was doing in me in those two years? I wasn't going anywhere. But I was going somewhere. He was cutting off bitterness and hurt and doubt. He was causing me to have to have more faith than who he was. And then something started to be produced. I started getting these ideas. I started getting this vision. And when I shared the vision, the, the church would be like, mm-mm, that ain't godly. That ain't what he wants you to do. I don't know about that one. So you know what I did? I wrote it down. And after two years of being told no, 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 I finally saw why I was being pruned for such a time as this to start something that Savannah needs. Back then, I thought the answer was, I had all these great things, and then I threw it away after a few months and just started to try to do the typical megachurch thing again. Two or three years of that wasn't working. And then God told me to do something that's really smart in ministry. Strip everything. Strip titles. Strip programs. Just take everything away and start over. And you know what I love? A bunch of stupid people stuck with me. And look at what God's doing now. Don't think he's got you in a place of still because he's not producing anything. This is going really long, but I hope this is. <clears throat> I'm the vine, you're the branches. Those who remain in me and I then will produce much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. Why? Because you're not asking what you want. You're actually asking what he wants for you. You see, it's not name it and claim it. It's not God's going to give me the desires of my heart. It's he's going to give you the desires of your heart because your heart is in line with his. You're, you're becoming in agreement so you're starting to pray things that he's already planned for you. You're starting to desire things that he's given you desires for. When you produce much fruit, you're my true disciples. When you produce much fruit, you're my disciples. This brings great glory to my father. If fruit's not coming, you can say you believe all day long, but evidence is showing your fruit. 
Remain in him, not in yourself. Let me just tell you this. If things are changing, if you're starting to see where you couldn't see before, you're starting to hear like you couldn't hear before, that's called fruit, which is the evidence that you are being discipled. Well, I get it wrong, but there's, but you're starting to bud. Verse 25, Romans 11. I want you to understand this mystery, dear brothers and sisters, so that you won't, so that you will not feel proud about yourselves. Some of the people of Israel have hard of Israel have hard hearts. But this will last only until the full number of Gentiles come to Christ. So all Israel will be saved. Remember what Paul started out with? Will God reject them because they were rebellious? No. All Israel will be saved, as the scriptures say. The one who rescues will come from Jerusalem. He will turn Israel away from ungodliness. This is my covenant with them, and I will take away their sins. The people of God will see. They haven't been forgotten. They haven't been thrown away. Grace is not just that Jesus saved. Grace is I will use a remnant, an Israel of Jews and Gentiles, to open the eyes of all. I'm calling you to surrender for the restoration of all. When it comes down to it, God's not finished. His heart is to restore everything. That's why he says, don't look up in the clouds and be obsessed when I'm coming back. I have got too much work for you to do before I even think about it. I get so sick and tired of hearing people, God's coming back any day now because America's so messed up. How narrow-minded of you that God is looking at the whole world in, a, in the smallest country with the biggest problems. You really think this world is all about America? But we dictate God's coming back by our fall. We're not even in the Bible. Does God love us? Absolutely. But don't be so proud to think that you move God's timing because we're so jacked up. Verse 28, many of the people of Israel are now enemies of the good news, and this benefits you Gentiles. They are still the people he loves because he chose their ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's where the root came from, right? God's gifts and his call can never be withdrawn. Can never be withdrawn. Once you Gentiles were rebels against God. But when the people of Israel rebelled against him, God was merciful to you instead. Now they're the rebels, and God's mercy has come to you so that they too will share in God's mercy. You're a remnant because of grace and mercy, not because of deserving. And if we will walk in him, he says, I'm now going to use you to give them mercy that they didn't necessarily need before. Because they were chosen. They were rooted in. But they rejected me. 
How will I embrace them? Through people that were never part of the original root system. Well, God can't use someone like me. God can't do great things to me. I've got too much of a messed up life. No matter how rebellious or disobedient you've been in your life, it never outweighs the mercy and kindness of grace to do something great in you. Ever. Remnant for restoration. I want to restore the whole thing. And I just need a representative, a remnant, to go where I want to go so that the blind and the deaf can see me through you. Verse 32. For God has imprisoned everyone in disobedience so he could have mercy on everyone. He cussed them off so they'll see mercy in action. And if a remnant will seek him and trust him, Imagine who all will be grafted in for full restoration of the body of Christ. You see, not everyone's going to be saved. But that's not because God plans for a few. Many will reject him. But his goal is I want to restore the body of Christ. I want to restore the beautiful tree. And I will graft anyone in who's willing to go so that the ones that were cut off, even if I can get one back. You see, we've got so much, we've got so much that God wants to do through us. But it's not going to happen until you understand you weren't good enough and you'll never earn good enough he graces you with an identity of good enough. He says, you're right. You're righteous. You have right standing before me. You're worthy. Not because you earn worthiness, because I grace it on you. I know what you did last night and the week before and the month before and 10 years ago. I am not defining you by your messed up parts of your life. My definition of you is how I made you to be. And I'm gracing you with an undeserved kindness to walk back into that identity that you don't know. So don't tell me that you can't do something for God because of your messed up life when God says nothing about your life is ever going to deserve what I can do. I'm going to give you an undeserved grace to do anything I've called you to do. And the last few verses, oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his ways. For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to give him advice? Who has given him so much that he needs to pay it back? Everything comes from him. Everything exists by his power. And everything is intended for his glory. All glory to him forever. Amen. Who could have come up with such a great plan? To take a beautiful tree and then cut off the tree to bring back in 
trees that weren't ever a part of the tree so that they can get back the original tree to be beautiful. Who could have, who could have come up with that? A great God, abundant in riches, wisdom, and knowledge. Who can know his thoughts? No, but we can follow. We come from him. We exist in his power. And if we'll just follow so that his glory is revealed, he will use that remnant to restore heaven on earth. To restore what the bride of Christ should look like. Not what this world has labeled on us. You bunch of hypocrites and you, you powerless, faithless. No, 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 no. Let the remnant be what he uses to restore what the body of Christ was truly for. Not a people that depend on the world, but that the world will start to depend on the people who worship a God that they don't even know. They'll see power in powerlessness when their lives have all been about gaining power. How is it you can change all that? You, you bunch of nobodies. We've got the influence. How do you define influence? We've got money. We've got power. We've got government. We've got senators. We've got Congress. We've got presidents. We've got kings. We've got the power. And then a nobody remnant says, <laughs> that ain't nothing compared to the power that lives in me. There is something in you that has not been seen. But God sees it. And he says, if you'll just follow me, I will use that to restore and change this world. You were never worthy, but now you are. So let's walk in such a way where God will do anything through our remnant for restoration.